0: Well, as Jana just pointed out, we um, kicked off a new series last week, thanks Isaac, called The Life and Death of Jesus of Nazareth. And if, if you remember, we're, what we're trying to do is take a big picture look. A lot of times when we go to the scriptures, we're, we're looking for something topical, right? What does the Bible say about this? But we started last week looking at, at, at kind of like a 30,000-foot perspective, of what the story is of this Jesus, what his life was like, and and we will march right up to Good Friday together, what his death was like, and then, of course, Easter Sunday we'll celebrate his resurrection. Last week, what we we looked at is, we're just going to be kind of following what Peter shared about Jesus. Peter may be his closest disciple, right, or probably his most famous. And, And Peter shared his story with John Mark, who wrote it down in the Gospel of Mark. And Peter had been thinking about this story for probably 30 years before Mark writes it down. And if you were here last week, he starts right up front with a gigantic pronouncement. And it's about the, the concept of the gospel, the good news. And the good news, according to Peter, who heard Jesus tell it, was not simply that Jesus had come and, and died for our sins so that we could go to heaven. The good news that Jesus went town to town sharing was that there was a new king, and a new kingdom, and all kinds of people were being invited into it. We're going to talk a little bit about that kingdom next week. This week, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of a pause in our series and, and look at that kingdom as it stands today in 2023. 20 years ago, which would be 2003, I was considerably younger. Um, and, uh, I was new on staff here at Mendham, and my first assignment was to find a youth pastor. And so, uh, we went scouring the Yellow Pages, um, remember the Yellow Pages? Scouring them for, uh, for a youth pastor. And we couldn't find anybody good, so we had to settle on a young man named Tim Meyer. Tim and his wife, (laughs) this guy's the vice president of the denomination now, so, you know, (laughs) he's doing fine. Um... Tim showed up. I remember picking him up at the airport, uh, pulling up and just going, I hope he isn't going to be too nerdy. Um, and uh, he had those big glasses when I pulled up and probably weighed a lot less than a he does less, now. A lot less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that began a, uh, a friendship for Tim and I that has lasted for 20 years. Tim was youth pastor here and worship leader, by the way, for five years before we um, helped partner with him and send he and Rachel and his two sons off to um, France to be missionaries there. Then after um, that call uh, ended, he wound up running Envision for the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination, for several years. Envision is kind of the missional arm for the CMA, uh, the short-term missional arm. And then, um, some amount of years ago now, Tim was elected one of three vice presidents of our entire denomination. Tim is home today. Um, He doesn't get around these parts much anymore, but he is home today. And he is literally on the forefront of the expansion of the mission of the kingdom of God all over the world. And so we're excited to have him kind of come back this morning and talk about King Jesus and the growth of his kingdom all around the world in 2023. Would you wildly welcome home (laughs) Tim Meyer?
1: Wildly welcome. Thank you.
2: it's very kind. It's really good to be back today. It's really good. It uh, looks a little different even than the last time I was here. I think I was here six, seven years ago, and it's, uh, there's been some good facelifts around here. It's good. Not John's face. You know, that's, uh, I, I got to figure out. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago that God led us here. Uh, we were two Midwestern kids who were lost. Uh, a little bit when we first landed in New Jersey, uh, but found family here. Uh, many people in this room became family to us, people in the room, like married to much more. When our first kid was born in Morristown, New Jersey, I told him, I said, you know, I'm going back to your birthplace. He's like, tell it hi. You know, Blaine's 16 now and Jude's 12. And uh, we recently moved to Columbus, Ohio, because our national office decided to do something out of the box and missional, and leave Colorado Springs, where there are 70 Christian organizations and nonprofits, and it's a beautiful place, and it's sunny every day, and move to Columbus, Ohio, where it's not sunny every day, and there are not a lot of Christian organizations, uh, but there's a lot of opportunity missionally, uh, both to set up some new funding uh, revenues for missions around the world, but also to be on mission where we're at, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about that. Today, I want to Answer and ask and answer a question, which is why does it seem like God always calls us to do the hard stuff, the hardest places in our lives, in our communities, and even around the world? And I am going to give you a a view of the world. We are going to camp out. It works out well that John started this series last week on King Jesus because I had already written, we, we just talked two days ago, and I had already written, you know, the middle of this. Uh, talk today is about his kingship and why Paul, the Apostle Paul who writes to the Corinthian believers, is so convinced that Jesus is king that he reorients his life and ministry around that reality and it actually changes everything for him and it changes everything around the world and we're still ramifications of that change and so I I do want to tell you some stories from around the world Uh, but what I don't want to do is give you some denominational rah-rah speech mostly because I don't recognize a lot of people in the room, which tells me some of you are new and you're like finding out today that this is a part of a denomination, this church. Uh, And it's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I do want to tell you a little bit about it, but not because denominations matter, uh, but because when we work together, there's only only certain things that local churches can do by themselves. Uh, There's only so much. And so when we link arms together, God can use that uh, linking of arms. But I do want to ask the question, why the hardest places? Because our family of churches has this impulse to go to difficult places around the world, to minister to the poor, to share the gospel, to respond to crisis. Like, when an earthquake happens in Syria, we're right on it, you know, and it's hard. That's not an easy task. So why does he call us to do that? When I was growing up, I actually grew up in this denomination, and my first nine years of my life were in this little church And we had missionaries come through all the time. And it's where God, for the first time, grabbed my heart and said, okay, maybe there's something beyond this. But when I started going on mission trips, I was like, I don't think that's for me, probably. Uh, in high school and even in college. But actually, my time here at Mendham, going to places like Guatemala and taking the youth group to Taiwan and all this crazy stuff, and I was 24, I can't believe we did some of the stuff that we did. Uh, but uh, those even God used those experiences to call me back. But one of the things that was great about growing up and having these missionaries come through is that I got at an early age that our lives were about something beyond us. That if we were following Jesus, there was something beyond our current realities that he was calling us into, whether that was sharing the gospel with our neighbors, which can be very uncomfortable, or giving more money to a local church or around the world, or even going ourselves, that when God transforms us, he doesn't just save us for us. He saves us for others and for his glory. And, for, and so we would meet people that are you know, living in Africa and all these crazy places that, you know, in this little rural community I was living in, were a world and a half away And yet there was something about their commitment and their courage that grabbed me as a little kid. And I'm glad that that was in me because life never turns out the way we want it to. Uh, Life has taken some left turns for me at times and uh, has not been easy. And I'm glad that God gave me that vision that my life wasn't just about me. As a denomination, the thing that drives us is this phrase, all of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world would be like our vision statement or our mission statement. And what we're trying to say is that uh, there is more than just, like John said, punching a ticket into heaven. Uh, Jesus did come to rescue us and to give us an opportunity to be forever with him in heaven, but he came also to transform everything, to usher in his kingdom. And so the All of Jesus part is that he has a story that he's writing that's very big and very important and transformational around the world. And then. That he leads us when he transforms us to minister to people around the world. So this started with a a Presbyterian pastor in New York City. And maybe you know that story, but he was not content with the fact that there were all these Italian immigrants showing up in Manhattan. And his church was uninterested in reaching them. So he said, all right, if somebody's interested, I don't want to have my church split. So I'm actually not calling anybody out. But if there are people who are interested in ministering to these people and... There are people all over the world who haven't heard this message, and I'm convinced that this is real, so let's join arms together, and he started this little ragtag group in Manhattan that today has about 6.3 million believers worshiping in Alliance churches around the world. In 180 languages and dialects, 23,000 churches worldwide are worshiping today, in, in like ways and in very different Unlikely <laughs> to our style of worship, because people are worshiping in so many different kinds of styles. But even in this country today, uh, and this is a story that you're a part of, whether you kind of knew you were a part of a denomination or not, this church belongs to a family of churches that are about 2,000 in the country. That's not the largest denomination. And most people have never heard, like when I say what I do for a living, I have to frame it, you know, with people at times, because... Uh, Working for a denomination doesn't make any sense to anybody. But um, when I talk about the family churches, they're like, I've never heard of it. Even if they're Christian, I've never heard. And that's kind of our thing. Like, it's okay if you never hear about us. Uh, we're kind of just existing to give it away and to make other people, you know, give it to them and let them become famous or whatever. Uh, so we're not the largest, but 2,000 churches in the U.S. and we're worshiping in 38 languages today. And so uh, in this country. And a lot of that is a result of that early vision to go, hey, we got to take the gospel to places that haven't yet heard. Now, in that era, if you're astute, there were people who were thinking in kind of colonial ways about this missionary activity. Like, we need to go impose America on the rest of the world. And that is not what we set out to do. And I'm sure that there was some unhealth at times. But what the conviction was is that if Jesus is real... And if the songs that we just sang are true, that like he can save us and change us, why wouldn't we want that life-changing message to go all over the world, especially in places where there's no chance for them to hear? So I don't know if you know this, but there are 4,000 people groups, so unique language, unique geography, whatever, that have little or zero access to the gospel of Jesus today in this world, 3.4 billion people. So this isn't colonization that motivates us, this is In some ways, I would say injustice that motivates us. If we believe that Jesus is the king and his rule and reign is what matters most in this world, then why would we be content as followers of this king that 4,000 people groups are without access to the king? So we've got to give them access. And sometimes that means people coming in from outside, whether they're from the west or from the east or the south or the north or whatever. There are a lot of these national churches around the world are sending their own missionaries. And so, uh, and bringing the gospel into these places, and that's what motivates us and drives us as a denomination. That's the last little denominational speak I'll give, okay? There's a beyond of our call as a Christian. I already mentioned that, that, that Jesus doesn't just save us for us, there's a beyond. But there's also a beyond as a group of people. The thing is, as a Christian, and as every church, we all have the same kind of call generally, to love God with all our hearts, to love our neighbors as ourselves, you know, to complete the Great Commission. You know, Jesus goes up on the, the top of a mountain in Matthew 28 and says, all right, and the disciples might be thinking, okay, it's time to, you know, run down the hill and take back our land from the Romans. Good stuff happens on mountains with Jewish guys. They're going up on a mountain with God, and they're ready, and the disciples, I think, are thinking we're about to go take, and and Jesus says, all right, here's my last command to you. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you, don't worry, until the very end, and then he leaves. And so the disciples are standing up there going, wait, what now? I know that you've seeded this idea that this is beyond us and beyond us Jewish people who are the chosen people, but go into all the world. Like, what are we talking about here? Make disciples of all people. It doesn't make any sense. So in the very beginning with Jesus, he's ushering in a kingdom that has seeds of this is beyond your current reality. And that's true still for us. So our day-to-day is, you know, my ki- I'm in the high school, middle school phase where sports and chauffeuring them everywhere and all the stuff is just consumes my life to a degree. And there's a lot of stuff, uh, extended family, and all those things. And yet, what I'm reminded is that the story that I'm living is a part of a larger story. And that's true for me personally, but also for all of us. The Apostle Paul, when he got transformed by Jesus, decided to start planting churches. And he, he, you know, he says in the, the letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, God chose to reveal this mystery of the gospel through the church. Frankly, having been in ministry now, 20 years, a little bit more even as an intern in college, I might have chosen to do this differently. Like, just snap your fingers and make everybody good people and follow Jesus because we're all broken and we're all, it's difficult, and how is this going to get done? And yet, God chose to involve us in his plan And he chose to do it through the church. And so Paul says, all right, this little community in Ephesus, this little community in Corinth. And in one of those letters to the Corinthian believers, the second letter to them, he has this passage where he celebrates what God's already done in them and and with them, but he also calls them to something else. So I want to read these um, verses if we have them on the screen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We, however, will not boast... Beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God Himself has assigned us to, a sphere that also includes you. So, in other words, uh, we're not going to boast about everything, but I do want to tell you what you're a part of. That's what He's saying. We're not going too far in our boasting, as we would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. And I'll make sense of this in a minute. Next slide, please. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of our work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, where you're currently at in the city of Corinth. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commands himself, who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Commends himself, but the one who the Lord... So this is what Paul's saying. I am really excited and almost proud of the fact that we were obedient and we brought the gospel to you in Corinth. Primarily, people who believed in that plethora of Greek gods living in a you know, non-Jewish town for sure... And Paul, this Jewish former Pharisee, brings the gospel into this place. It takes root. Some of these people are second-generation Christians. In other words, their parents were the first one. But a lot of these people are first-generation Christians. Like, they first heard about the gospel of Jesus, and they're living on mission for the very first time with God, and they're trying to figure out, what do we even do in a church? So Paul's giving them all these instructions on how we live our lives together. But then he says, this gospel has come to you, but it's not going to stop with you. And so a couple of observations about this passage. First of all, fundamentally we're challenged to believe here that this is not our kingdom. Like this world is not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We are not in control. As much as we want to be and as much as I try to be, we're not in control. This is Jesus' kingdom. He has ushered in, his, and he is the ruler and, and of his kingdom, and he is inviting new people always into the kingdom. When he teaches the disciples to pray, Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so what Jesus is teaching the disciples is to acknowledge that there is a king in this kingdom. And frankly, in his kingdom, there's not much competition. It feels like there is. And in our world, it feels like there is. But Jesus' kingdom is working in kind of silent and somewhat surprising ways at times, spreading all over the world. And so Paul acknowledges first, this is his kingdom. Secondly, he acknowledges there's a, different, a difference between our assignment and our call. So what I said earlier is this. Pretty much every Christian is, has the same call. You know, to love God, to love people. Every church has the same. You know, I don't know what your current vision statement is, but every church is Essentially, like we've got to love Jesus, and we have to love our world and our community and our neighborhood, and, and make an actual impact. And otherwise, what are we doing if we're not if we're not really living out our faith? And what why are we why would we do this just to make ourselves feel better for an hour a week, maybe? Uh, but it's not enough for all this. If God isn't really changing us, and He's sending us out, and so our calling is all the same, and yet our assignment might be different. So every local church has a different nuance in their assignment in where they live that's why there's more than one church in in a community at times you know otherwise there'd be like one church per city because they could take care of the whole thing but there are a lot of you know god put on the hearts of these guys guatemala a number of years ago and that's not the same passion as everybody else that's good because if everybody the same passion we wouldn't be able to reach every sphere of society so we have to figure out what our assignment is and ask God. Tell us what your assignment is for us. As a family of churches in the Alliance, one of our assignments is to go to the not yet reached places. The places that lack access to care, to help, and to the gospel. And so one of the things that Paul is saying here is, look, all of our calls might be the same, but our assignment And he says, my assignment in Ephesians and in Galatians and a couple places is to actually reach the Gentiles, even though he's Jewish. So what he's saying is, God's put it on my heart. I've got to get this gospel message beyond where people are going to laugh at us. Like, why am I supposed to believe in this Jewish God? This makes zero sense. We have all of our other gods. But then they start going, well, maybe this is actually the king, and there are not 12 kings. There's one king in a kingdom, and I could be a part of his kingdom. And so then Paul says, and this is the third observation, his desire is to see the gospel to continue to advance. Not his, like, brand to advance. Not his name, but for the gospel to advance. That's why he says, we can't do this, essentially, without you. I'm rejoicing what the gospel has done here, among you, and now how it's permeating, but now we're going to go together and go do something even further to what he calls regions beyond. Now, at that time, Paul was not conceiving of some of the places the gospel would go. I mean, Paul didn't even know China existed, or India, or you know some of these places that the gospel would end up going. He's just thinking the next one over. Like, we gotta get this gospel to the next region, to the next town. Why? Because he's so convinced that Jesus is king. And so when our hearts are gripped by Jesus as king, he takes our lives and says, I want to take all that gifting and all that passion and all the stuff that I've given you, and now I want to repurpose it, not just for you, but for my kingdom. And then we have an invitation to be open-handed and say, all right, whatever that means. For some of us, um, that means, you know, recalibrating our finances, and for others, it means going on a mission trip for the very first time. And for some of us, it means even being willing to send our own children to go to these kind of places, which I can now say is harder, thinking about that, than just going myself. At the beginning of our movement, uh, we had this compelling desire to go, instead of going to the coast, going to the interior. So I'm jumping a slide, sorry. from the coast to the interior, Here, here's what this means. In the early 1900s, uh, there were missionary groups who were going um, and sending missionaries. And, and those early missionaries, by the way, were mostly sent out with caskets in boats because they assumed they weren't coming back. They assumed, hey, if I'm going to these new places, I don't know what kind of disease I'm going to get. I don't know if I'm going to get killed by people that are there. And maybe I'm just supposed to live there the rest of my life. I don't know. So that when they said goodbye, they said goodbye for real. You know, I had like a nervous breakdown in the airport when I moved to France, and I moved to France. I mean, it's pretty, it's not like, uh, it's not that hard, right? You know, I was, I wasn't sent to those kind of places. Uh, And yet, um, they were like, look, they were so convinced of their call, and so convinced that Jesus loved people that hadn't yet heard that they went with caskets. But instead of even going to the coast, they went to the interior, so Simpson and some of his guys, the, the, that Presbyterian pastor, they said, look, most of the missionary agencies are sending people to the coast where there's some fruit because uh, the gospel has now been introduced in the, like on the, on the Horn of Africa, the west coast of Africa. But instead of just staying at the coast, we have to land there. We're going to take the gospel to the interior. And, and that time, they called it the bush of Africa, the interior part. And so they would send people, they would land, and they would go in. So when they landed in places like, Congo, in the late 1800s or the early 1900s, they sent people who were willing to go, but they sent, the, the leader of the team was like this 23-year-old kid named John Condit who shows up in Congo and within three weeks he died. He got malaria or whatever and the whole team ended up disbanding except for one couple who stayed on. They, they disbanded, they, you know, they died, they had, you know, they had to go home because of disease, whatever. They were going to the interior. Today, by the way, In uh, the DRC in Congo, there are over a million believers in Alliance churches worshiping a God because of faithful sacrifice and willingness to go to the interior. There's something about the assignment of this family of churches that says, like, we're not just going to do the easy thing. Like, I'm a Cleveland sports fan, which is the hardest sports fan to be. Because we never win anything, and I don't want to hear anything about from Jet fans or anything. You made that you won the Super Bowl. It feels very recent to me that you won the Super Bowl. I've never been to the Super Bowl, so I don't, you know, I don't have any sympathy. The, being a Cleveland sports fan resonates with this for me because you know it's like, let's not choose the easy thing. Let's choose the hardest thing, and then when we get the wins, we'll know we'll know it's real, right? But in the gospel, Paul is moved to go to regions beyond. Not because, like, oh, we're tougher than the other group, or I'm, I'm going to be the superhero that takes the gospel. No, he's just saying, look, there's a, an equation here. These people don't have the gospel. We could bring the gospel. Who else is going to go? So he writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. But he also says, so how are these people supposed to hear if nobody tells them? And how are they supposed to be told if no sent Like, he does this whole, you know, like, this takes actual people. Now, God does break through to people in their dreams sometimes, but normally we hear the gospel from another human being. And that's what Paul is saying, and that's what continues to motivate us today. So what are today's interior regions? That's a question for us as a local church here in Mendham, and uh, as a family of churches. What are the interior regions? Who are those people who are overlooked in our area? Who are the people who are underserved or unreached? And that's something to wrestle through as a, as a local church. Like what are what is God calling us? And I mean, the fact that you have something called beyond the walls uh, was is that very question. What does it mean to go beyond the walls of the church and to do this together? Now, here's the fun part. This church today is extending the gospel in the Middle East, in Germany, in England, in Guatemala, and many other places, by the way, uh, because of the people who've come through and, and because of financial contributions, but very specifically because you're supporting people like Dan and Miriam Hutton, and Sean and Susie McLean, and Tim and Renska Berry, and Potter's House, and all these other uh, groups that you're linking arms with, to say there, there is a beyond so this is both an application for us locally, but also very personally. Like, what is the beyond that God is calling me to as a human being, beyond my, the walls of my existence and my comfort and my control? Because King Jesus disrupts our lives. He welcomes us. He gives us grace for our sin. He does make our lives make sense, and he gives us unbelievable peace and joy and all the rest. He also disrupts us. Because if we have a king, and we're not, I mean, as Americans, we're not really familiar or comfortable with this king concept very much. I don't know how much you're going to talk about this, John, but the truth is, like, we we have a very democratic, flat kind of, like, if we don't like the people, we get them out. And we try to bring in our next people. That's just the American way. But for us as Christians, one of the things that challenges us is actually we don't vote out this God. If we're unhappy with his kingship, tough. At some level, we have to submit ourselves, and that is the discipleship journey for our whole lives, but that discipleship journey doesn't just lead us to a greater experience with him, but on mission with him as well. Part of joining with him and asking these questions is to see the challenges and the opportunities differently. So we're in this crazy faith journey right now of, we told our, we have 100 people at our national office, and we told them, look, we love you, if you, and we want you to keep your job, but if you want to keep your job, other than some remote people that we figured out during COVID, like everybody, uh, we're going to do something different, and we're going to ask you to move from Colorado to Ohio, and we're going to do this new multi-use campus where we've got retail and a coffee shop, and some care for immigrants, and an event center, and our office, and we're going to generate revenue to send emissions, and so we don't have to take any more donations to pay for the heat and the lights and all that kind of stuff, and we're going to force the issue with our staff that just because you make it to some Christian organization doesn't mean you're disconnected from reality anymore. You've got to interact with the community, so it started disturbing us that We had all these Christians who were working in a Christian organization, but we were locking them inside a building, kind of guaranteeing they were out of touch. And so they're overseeing the mission and they're not on mission anymore. And so uh, it's just this weird thing, like they're missionaries and then they kind of graduate, now they don't have to be involved anymore, and so we're forcing the issue. But by doing that, um, it was one thing to make the decision. That was hard. Telling the staff, hard. Moving across the country, hard. And I actually grew up in Ohio, so it's easier for us. But for a lot of these folks, it's been, you know, they would never even imagined visiting Ohio, nor should anyone, really, you know. Uh, and yet, we're in this really, we, we had a desire to say, our, 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 like I said earlier, our Alliance family is very diverse. Over um, 50% of our worshipers in, in America today are uh, non-majority culture kind of folks. But our staff hasn't reflected that, so we need to be in a place that reflected it. My kids' local school district, 52 languages are spoken. I wouldn't have guessed that in Columbus, Ohio. That's the reality. And so we're living out that mission, but it was one thing to decide, okay, you're the king, we'll do what you want us to do. It's another thing to actually do it. So God's brought all this money um, to purchase all this property. We bought a Kmart and a McDonald's. We took down the Kmart, the strip mall. We're taking it all down and repurposing it and, and all that. But now we're at the like, build phase where we have to raise a bunch of money and mobilize our staff. And I've been thinking a lot about Joshua, if you remember this story, Where Joshua and Caleb go to, like, survey this promised land, and they come back, and most of the people are like, this is a terrible idea. We're all going to die. We should not go into this land. And Caleb and Joshua see the exact same thing and say, actually, we definitely should. This is God's land. It belongs to him. He's calling us. He's the king. We'll go where he tells us. Then they try to kill Moses and Joshua and Caleb because they're like, we got to get new leaders. These guys are nuts. And But then, so he's already courageous. But then when Moses dies and Joshua takes over, in Joshua 1, God says to him three times, be strong and courageous. He's already the most courageous guy. He already sees opportunity where other people don't. And yet what God is saying to him is now you're going to need courage to actually live this out, and I can give you that courage. To live with me, to enjoy my kingship, and to join with me. I want to tell you one uh, story to to close this morning. that sums up some of these things. Um, I, sorry, I've messed up all the slides. I didn't know exactly where I was going. but um, <laughs> they're <laughs> they're, uh, The final slide before the final story is uh, to see this as opportunity versus lack. A lot of times, why we, the reason we don't, if it's not just because the American dream has so captured our hearts that we're unwilling to join him on mission, which does happen, We're unwilling to give up control or finances or whatever. The other thing that prevents us is a poverty mentality. In other words, there's only so much time, energy, money, or whatever to go around. So I just need to take care of myself, and then I'll get to the rest of this stuff. And uh, the story of the gospel is actually he's a God of abundance. There's always more to go around. There's more finances to go around. There's more energy. There's more people. Uh, His kingdom will not be stopped. He's a king that will continue to establish his kingdom until he comes and reigns on this earth. That's the story of the gospel. So that's part of seeing this with opportunity versus lack. Recently, uh, some of our team was able to go to Cambodia like three weeks ago to celebrate the 100-year uh, anniversary of the gospel getting to Cambodia. And that was significant because that 100 years ago, it happened to be a Christian Missionary Alliance, two couples that went in 1923 as the first ones to introduce the gospel into this country. And they went and experienced a lot of resistance. For the first 50 years, they had very little fruit. After 50 years, there were about five to 7,000 believers total uh, 50 years later. And then the Khmer Rouge hit in the 70s. And uh, that wiped out everybody. I mean, it wiped out a third of the population. It was like a Holocaust-level event. I don't know if you're aware of that. But, you know, 25% of the population died in Cambodia. And the church was almost decimated. There were like 500 believers left in the church. They were all round up and killed. One of the... um, But then, I'll tell the rest of this story first. uh, Some of the people went back after the Khmer, Khmer Rouge was unseated. And today... Um, there are uh, over 100,000 believers in Cambodia, and, and churches are being planted everywhere. In fact, there are 25 churches being planted just this year. There are plans for them. Uh, and that that's a cool story of God's faithfulness because somebody's willing to go to a region beyond. But here's the crazy part of the story, two parts. One, one of those little girls that survived the Khmer Rouge uh, as a nine-year-old, she and her husband and, and her friends were all killed, like, She told a story there where she had given a friend a a little baby doll and couldn't find her friend, and then three days later saw her friend and the baby doll in a ditch. I mean, that was the kind of thing they were living through. She has gone back to that very place, and they're now planting churches where the Khmer Rouge had their last holdout, on the north side of Cambodia, right by the Thai border. And she and her husband are the church planting leads in in that area. They've gone back to the place where, you know, sometimes I'm like, I've been through a lot, you know, I need you know, help and all this stuff, and I'm like, I haven't been through that, you know, not even close to that. So their faith inspires me, and what God continues to do inspires me. One of the people that they were working with four years ago, his name was uh, Kong, this guy fell in, we actually did a video story, so if you go on our website, you can find the video story somewhere, but this guy fell in a, like a fire, uh, like a brick kiln kind of thing, and this is kind of graphic, so I'm sorry, kids, but his eye actually got ripped out of the socket. It was like crazy. He, he was this crazy, angry alcoholic that was like, his life was in shambles, but his wife had become a believer, so he, he go, his eye is like hanging half out of his head, literally, and he goes to his wife, and he's like, hey, I need a doctor, but could you pray for me? They pray, and like the eye goes back in the head, and he's healed. So this guy's life is completely transformed, and he becomes an evangelist and a pastor in this community. So he ends up starting to plant churches. He planted, I think, 12 or 13 churches, but last year, he got run over by a truck. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. This is just like crazy. But his brother was in the accident with him. His brother gets run over too, but doesn't die. So his brother, who was nominally a believer, decides, I'm going to pick up this torch and I'm going to now lead the churches. So he is now, he was wearing, three weeks ago when our team was there, the same pants that he, he had the tire marks on the pants. And he just said, look, Jesus changed my life. I have to be on mission with him and we have to continue to take this gospel. These people in these fishing villages have never heard this story. And Jesus changes everything. we got to be about this. So my invitation to you this morning is to relent to his kingship, whatever that means in your life. And then to join him in his kingdom that's making everything new. It requires sacrifice. Our lives are not just about us. But the joy of joining him on the journey is unbelievable. To see people's lives actually transformed. To see the poor cared for. To see people pulled out of the... I don't have time to tell you the story of these people. I'll tell it next service so you can see round two. It's going to be totally different, I trust you. Um, <laughs> but people are getting pulled out of the rubble in Syria because some man in white is giving them food to have, have them survive for weeks. I just heard the story last week from a friend who was there uh, giving, you know, helping pull people out of the rubble in Syria. I mean, God, So God's doing this kind of stuff all over the world. And my invitation to you is to join them and whatever that means. And giving and going and praying and just thinking about your lives differently. So I know the team's going to lead us but can I pray for them quickly because I'm going to get John the last word. God, would you continue to do what you're doing in this church for your glory? It's so good to see so many faces I don't recognize. That's evidence that you're drawing people to yourself. But I pray that it would never stay with us. I pray that the kingship that we see in you, Jesus, would not be limited to a club or a little experience, but would transform our very existence, and that we would be willing to do anything for you. And we join you, and the joy in that is is unreal. So we pray for these people around the world, but we also pray for uh, ourselves, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing. In Jesus' name,
3: amen. Would you stand and let's worship together. But wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. The sweetest fame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He.
0: It's a, it's a strange story, um, the story of God. Right? He creates man in the garden; and everything is perfect, and and He says, "Enjoy it." But I, I want you, I want you to work it with me. I, I, I've given it to you, but but I want you to work it with me. I mean, God was perfectly capable of taking care of the garden, perfectly capable of naming the animals, but but wanted us to do it with Him. And, and most of you know the story. We we, we screwed it all up. and... And, and the king shows up, Jesus the king shows up, and he goes, I've got good news, but I need you to, to work it with me. I'm inviting you in to work with me. The gospel, this is God's decision, I don't know why, but the gospel will only go as far as God's people take it. And so I, I pray this morning as you heard Tim speak that maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit in you just gave you a little bit of a nudge to realize that 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 in your heart and in your soul you you carry the, the keys to the kingdom the, the seeds of life and, and maybe be inspired to to think through who those keys need whose whose who, who's heart needs to be unlocked where those seeds need to be planted because there are unreached people in guatemala and new york city at and at In fact, you know there's 96,176 people that live within one town of this church that do not know what you know. And our goal is to make Jesus real to each and every one of them. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Tim and the ministry of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see that the field before us is white for harvest. Help us to love you and to love them. In the great name of Christ, we pray. And everybody at Mendham said? Would you thank Tim Meyer one more time? I'll see you all out in the foyer.
2: Thanks for joining us today.
0: And we'll see you again next week.